Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the ninth Sunday after Trinity is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments about today's sermon, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website, faithlutheran-aflc.org. Now let's join in and hear what God has to say to us today. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the psalm appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Psalm 18 verses 1 through 6. can be found on page 855 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name Psalm 18 verses 1 through 6. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. First of all, congratulations to all of you who now have a campfire song stuck in your head. It means you lived a very rich childhood and went to Bible camp. I'm, I'm, if you can't get it out of your head, not my fault, that's David's right now. Anyway, this week I had the privilege of teaching at our seminary in the Summer Institute of Theology, and I was the systematics teacher for the week. And one of my class periods, I dedicated to the nuance in Lutheran theology that confesses paradox and tension. And it's one of the things we as modern American Christians have so much trouble with. And it, it's, it's really easy to blame social media, but I think in this case, it's really the fault of social media. We don't like nuance anymore. We like it to be straightforward, all the way careening off the edge of the table. We don't like to temper our opinions or, or, or state things that are middle ground. But it just so happens that with tension and paradox, you have to do that. Because if you go one way or the other way, you've gone too far. And the Christian life and Christian confession are filled with these areas of the faith that are tension and paradox. Think about the doctrine of the Trinity. God is three, and God is one, and if you don't find that middle ground, you've committed heresy. Okay? The, the, the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time, and if you do one or the other, you lose salvation. That's the way it works. The Christian life also works this way. And since the time of the Reformation, the tension in the Christian life has been summed up by a Latin phrase. Simul justus et peccator. Simultaneously righteous and sinful. And I think as Christians, this might be the tension we struggle with the most. We want to be all the way righteous and not struggle against sin, or we want to be 
all the way sinful and not think that God approves of this at all. Now, if you're, if you're doubting the premise in my setup here, I want you to think of your own testimony. If you consider yourself a Christian right now, I want you to think of your own testimony. And more often than not, and maybe this is just an AFLC thing, but I doubt it. More often than not, what you will hear the testimony from someone who was born and raised in the AFLC is that they were born and raised in a Christian family, and then they had a salvation conversion experience at some point in time in their teens or in their 20s, generally associated with a Bible camp or, or, or something else, and, and, and that's where we derive the comfort from our conversion. And yet we miss out on the point where the person says, I was born and raised in a Christian home. Now, is it entirely possible that one can be born and raised in a Christian home and reject the salvation that their parents have taught and reject the salvation that their church has proclaimed and find themselves utterly without the Spirit of God in their life, devoid of salvation? It's entirely possible. But I think more often than not, and I include myself as one who has done this, more often than not, when we come under the conviction of sin, we immediately disqualify ourselves from the grace of God. And so it must be in my teens or in my 20s, as I struggled against sin in my life, it must be the case that God just went out and saved me all over again. This is the sort of thing that is addressed in Psalm 18 this morning. The tension of the Christian life. And King David and the Holy Spirit provide us with not only a way to see the tension, but also how to understand how it functions in our life. And the way David does this, and the way the Holy Spirit does this for us this morning, is the tension of our prayer life. And so turning our eyes back to Psalm 18 this morning, the first truth we're going to consider is that the righteous one calls upon the Lord... And God hears. So in the introduction to this psalm, which is, if you have a Bible like mine, it's in all capital letters and it's basically a whole paragraph. I didn't read it with this, but in the introduction to this psalm, we see the circumstances under which David wrote Psalm 18. David, who was not yet king, was fleeing from Saul as King Saul descended into unbelief and madness. Now, it just so happens that over the course of the last week and a half, this is the section of the Old Testament I've been reading in my personal devotion. So I get a lot of the backstory with this. And, and it's really this interesting thing where David's celebrity was on the rise. He was a faithful young man of God who could do no wrong. Everyone celebrated everything he did, and he was stepping into great success. At the same time, Saul was yesterday's news. He, it no longer mattered that Saul was head and shoulders above the rest of the Israelites, which is why the Israelites thought he was appointed king. He was a physically impressive and imposing man. And Saul had been the celebrity. And people had followed him into battle. And then Saul cowered. And he was cowardly. And David steps onto the scene and he brashly proclaims his faith in God and God grants him victory over Goliath and Saul becomes jealous 
and envious of David, and he starts to pursue him. And he starts to attack him, trying to pin him to the wall with a spear. And this is the tension of the last half of the book of 1 Samuel. David, the golden child, with a bold, confident faith in God, and Saul, the has-been, falling away not only out of favor with the Israelites, but falling out of faith in God. If we understand the context, we can talk ourselves into understanding David's confidence as he prays. Sure, it's entirely easy for a man like David in his position to pray with confidence that the Lord is his rock and his fortress and his deliverer. It's entirely easy to see how God would serve as David's shield and horn and stronghold. When David calls upon the Lord, he has the utmost confidence that the God of the universe will save him from his enemies. After all, hasn't God done this? The little boy going up against the nine-foot giant Goliath and felling him with just a sling and a stone? Hasn't God defended him from Saul? Hasn't God given him success on every side? David is a man of great faith and integrity. He is, after all, a man after God's own heart. And so David makes an excellent example for all of us. Would that we all strive for such a relationship with God and have such a testimony of faith and integrity. In fact, David is so good, he's so perfect right now in his life story that he doesn't even feel like an example. He feels like a carrot on a stick, dangling just out of our grasp. Too good to be true. And as David is upheld as our example, as we look to him as an example, we tend to let him disqualify us from that kind of relationship with God. That can't possibly be me. I doubt and waffle in my faith. I don't possess David's integrity I can't imagine having that kind of pious confidence. That's not who I am. No wonder God isn't on my side like that. I'm not David. This completely explains why I'm going through the miserable circumstances in my life that I'm going through right now. Rather than celebrate as the church With David, we disqualify ourselves. And we step back. We bow our head in shame. And we tell God, I get it. This must be why I've lost favor with you. That's this moment when David and the Holy Spirit give us a lifeline. Because there's a transition from verse 3 to verse 4 and 5. And what we see in those two verses is that the sinful person calls upon the Lord 
and God hears. The tone in verses 4 and 5 shifts dramatically. Same author, different tone. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. Now, historically speaking, it would still be easy for us to see and understand David's fear in writing and recording these words. After all, he's fleeing from King Saul. He's probably more than a little bit discouraged. And so in his discouragement, David turns to the Lord in prayer for comfort. Yeah, that works. In this way, these words also serve as instruction and example for us. We, too, should turn to the Lord in prayer during times of difficulty and discouragement. We should seek Him out for comfort and protection. We should bring our cares to Him because He cares for us. And again, you can probably feel the doubt and disqualification creeping up inside you. David can pull this off. He's righteous. He's good. He's holy. He's a man of integrity. But I'm no David. God probably wants me to be captured. God probably wants me to flee. God's probably furious with me. And that's why it's important for us to see these words of David in verses 4 and 5 as words of confession. They are the confession of a sinner enveloped and overwhelmed by his sin. Death and destruction and Sheol, the grave, they're all consequences of our sin. More than that, they are God's just punishment for our sin. And this is the wonder of it all. That in his sin and in his shame, David turns to God for deliverance. And so should you. Because God hears. And this is why the reality of these first few verses in Psalm 18 transcend who David is and what David has done. It transcends David's piety. It transcends his, his confidence, his brashness, and his celebrity. Because the reality presented to us here in Scripture is that it's the same miracle in both instances. The God would, that God would listen to the prayer of a sinner and rescue him is certainly a miracle of God's goodness and grace. But that God would listen to the prayer of a righteous man is no less of a miracle. And the reason for this is because we're dealing with God. He's so much higher and powerful and magnificent than any of us are, and yet He invites us to come to Him. He invites us to call to Him. He invites us to approach Him, and more than that, He commands it. Because God is there, ready and waiting 
to hear us, ready and waiting to respond to us. And that's what this morning takes us back to that Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator, simultaneously righteous and sinful. God hears the prayers of both. He hears your prayers. Not because your sin doesn't matter, not because God ignores your sin or pretends it doesn't exist, but because God has dealt with your sin. And that's the miracle of David's prayer. That's the miracle of David's righteousness. And that now is the miracle of your righteousness. David's expectation that God would deliver him out of his current and frequent life struggles comes from the confidence that God has delivered him out of his spiritual and eternal struggles. God lives to hear your prayer because God lives to save you. God lives to protect and provide for you because God lives to deliver you out of your sin out of your bondage, out of your imprisonment. And He has done all this for you through His Son. He has done all this for you through Jesus who died on the cross in your place and rose again to give you the victory. And so the message this morning from King David and the message this morning from God the Holy Spirit to you in Scripture is quite simple. Stop disqualifying yourself from God's grace. Stop fleeing and cowering from God's presence. Stop waiting until you're good enough or righteous enough to believe that God wants to help you. Repent. Turn not away from God, but to God. And cry out to Him. Lift your voice to Him in your need. Not only will He hear you, He does hear you. And He cares for you. And He saves you. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please bow your heads and pray with me the Lord.